you would take out the Word of God and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 5 through 11. Continue our sermon series, Joyful Witnesses. Last week we talked about unity in the church. That if the gospel is true in the church, we will naturally be of one accord because we're all living out the gospel. We're loving We're being merciful. We're being kind, compassionate to one another because that's what the gospel does in our life. And we are bound by the gospel. This week, we we see where all of that is rooted. As Paul uh, gets so deep here theologically in explaining what we call the incarnation of Christ, the infleshing of God himself. And how how we are to model that as we live out the gospel in the church. This is what it looks like, considering the needs of others as more important than ourselves. I'm going to read verses 9 through 11, uh, but we're going to look at this whole section together. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. Hear the word of Christ. Verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh God, I pray today that we would see Christ in all of his beauty and all of his glory and all of his majesty But we would truly see it because he is majestic and he is glorious and he is beautiful because he became humble. His humility, he lowered himself for our good. May we see that and take great comfort, great joy. May we take and have great hope in the one who had it all. Has lowered himself to give it all to us. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. Well, since it's Father's Day, I thought I would begin with the story of the time where my dad was the most disappointed in me that he's probably ever been. Probably the angriest at me that he had ever been. Uh, Many of you know, growing up, my dad uh, owned and worked in a welding shop. Uh, And he taught me how to weld at a young age. And I often went to work with him and worked alongside him. And then when I was 18 or 19, there'd be times where he would go out and run errands and go look at other jobs. And uh, it just so happened there'd be times where he would leave me in charge of the shop. And I always felt, uh, you know, I felt large and in charge. I'm the boss now. And there was one day he left me alone with a man named Red. Now... Imagine all the men that you've heard with that nickname Red, what they look like. Well, he looked just like that. He looked exactly like Willie Nelson. And Red lived a lot like Willie Nelson, except without the guitar. And over time, Red, he became very physically weak. And it's hard to work in a welding shop if you're not very strong. And I had to work with Red a lot. And over time, I would get very irritated with him. I would ask him to help me move things, and he just wouldn't do it. He would say, I can't. I'm going to hurt my back, and I just can't. 
And over time, I would get frustrated with him. So on the day my dad left me in charge, that was not good for Red, who was very older than me. And even talking about it, it's an awkward situation because I asked him to do something and Red said no. And I said, well, Red, you can get your stuff and leave. And I didn't think he would do that, but he did. And so essentially, while my dad was gone and he had given me uh, the reins, I fired someone, which is not something my dad took kindly to when he returned. And he began to ask where Red was, and I told him what happened. And my dad never loses his temper. I can't really remember ever seeing my dad that angry except that moment when I said that. And I began to hear why this had never happened to Red before. And he had worked in this shop for 20 years. And he has been extremely loyal. And who in the world do you think you are? And, and, and I'm feeling horrible in that moment. And then he even made it worse because he got to a point and he said, Do you know what Red's life is like when he's not here? And he really needs this job. And this job that, that I provide for him, you just took it away from him. And I've thought about that, and the reality is, in this moment where I was attempting to be and act like my dad, the boss, was a moment where I was the most unlike my dad. My dad, who used his advantages and benefits to help this guy, I took into my own hands and took them away from this guy. And isn't that how we live our life? The heart of our sin is we want to be God. We want the authority. We want to be boss. We want to be king. We want to have the power. We want to have the benefits of being God. And yet, with that power, anytime we taste that authority, we never use it the way God uses His power. God uses His power and authority for the good of others. And yet when we taste power and authority, we use it for ourselves. In our attempt to be like God, our attempts to be God, we are often, so often, unlike God. And this is why Paul unpacks this glorious section of, of theology of what we describe as the incarnation, the infleshing of God himself, to describe to us, this is what it looks like to be in charge. This is what it looks like to be God. It, what does God do with his power and his authority? Well, he uses it for our benefit. And this is how we're to live in the context of the church. Notice verse 5. Paul is talking about unity and how are we going to be united in the church? How are we going to live out the gospel together? Notice verse 5. Have this mind among yourself. This way of thinking that affects everything that you do. Have this mind among you. And here it would be y'all in the church. Have this mind among the church which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now we always have to remember Jesus Christ isn't Jesus' first and last name. It's a title. Christ, Messiah, King. Christ Jesus, Savior. Jesus means Savior. And so it's the King who saves. And so you in the context of the church are to have the mind of Christ. The way Christ thinks. The way Christ acts. You benefit from the way Christ 
thinks and the way Christ acts. The king who saves. The king, the one who has all power and authority. What does he do with it? He saves. Notice verse 6. Who though was in the form of God. Now, form here, it doesn't just mean disguise. It It means that he had the essence of being God. Everything that it took to be God, Jesus had. And that, from eternity past, was on full display. Even before anything ever existed except God, the display, the expression that Jesus was God was there. But what did Jesus do with his deity, his godness, the fact that he was God? He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, equality was not just some rights that were given to him by God. I'm going to give you equal rights with me. No, he was God. And so he naturally and inherently possessed all the rights and privileges it took to be God. But notice, Paul says, he didn't. Hold tightly to these things. These things were not what he grasped onto. And the word grasped, hold tightly, means to rob. Meaning, Jesus had the status, rights, privilege, authority that comes with being God. But he didn't rob it to himself. He didn't steal it from others. He didn't hold on to it tightly. Even though it was all rightly his. Notice verse 7. What did he do with it? He emptied himself. Now the word empty means to be poured out. But it's not poured out in, in the sense that it no longer exists. It is poured out for the benefit of others. Poured out and used for others. Poured out to be served for others. Notice the text continues by taking the form of a servant. Now, notice how we're stepping down here. The highest of high, all power, all authority. What does he do with it? He pours it out to be a slave. How does he become a slave? He's born in the likeness of men. Everything it takes to be a man conceived of the virgin, developed in the womb. He became a child, a young man. He, he was literally 100% man. So the one who is 100% God pours that out into flesh. Everything it meant for Jesus Christ to be God. Everything that it meant. He poured it into flesh to serve others. The creator poured himself into creation. Why? To serve others. He became a man to serve others. How did he serve us? Well, as 100% God, he's perfect. He's righteous. He is what we need to be accepted before God. You have to be perfect to go to heaven. But you're not. Jesus is. And he pours that perfection into flesh and lives a life you could never live. To credit it to your account when you believe in him. He is perfect. He is righteous. He is the only one who can die for sin. How does he die for sin? He pours it into flesh. 100% man on the cross dying for sinners. And when you believe in him, his death is credited to you. 
Your sins are forgiven. And it is as though you've never sinned. And you always obeyed before God. That's how He serves you. And Paul says, if you're going to be united in the church, you've got to have that same mind. Where you are taking your status. And now your status is a child of God. In the Son, you are the Son. God is well pleased in you. The same way He loves Jesus, He loves you. All rights, all privileges, all authority that Jesus has have been given to you. And so now, what are you going to do with that status? The same status Jesus has before God, what are you going to do with it? Well, Paul says you've got to have the same mind that Jesus had. What does Jesus do with his status? He pours it into flesh to serve others. So in the Son, you pour out your status to slave for others. So you go from the highest high to the lowest low for the sake of others. And the gospel frees you to do that. You're not clinging to your status. Your status is secure in Christ. And so you are free to serve others. Now think for a moment about the status you have in the world. Think about what other people call you. Think about the folks who are dependent on the decisions you make. Now, some of you have gone to school. Some of you have worked hard. Your supervisors, your teachers. We got parents here, moms and dads. And, and, and we have been given this status. In the providence of God, we have certain privileges and authority and status. How are you using your status for the sake of others? Are you clinging to those things for your own name? Look how wise I am. Look at all I've worked for. I want more recognition. I want more power. I want more authority. Do you use the power you have for your own benefit? Because you get that little adrenaline rush by just telling someone else to do. You may be second to the lowest on the totem pole in the office. But you at least get to tell somebody to sweep the floors. And when you do that, man, you feel so good. What does Jesus do with his status? He lowers himself to those lower than him to serve them. Do the folks you're around on a daily basis know that even though your title may be greater than theirs, you are willing to serve them, to pour yourself into their life? Do your employees know that? The, 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 the young lady who's going to come in tomorrow morning and she has had a rough weekend and her head is throbbing. Does she know that you care so much about the glory of God in Jesus Christ that you're willing to sit down and talk to her about those things? Because it's not just about your status. You exist for something greater and you're willing to lower yourself for the good of others. Parents. But you are setting the priorities for your kids for the rest of their life. Uh, do they understand that that status is a gift from God that has been given to you and you're going to leverage it for their good and the glory of the gospel? Do they, do they feel that? Or are you just some sort of distant dictator? Are you just some sort of pushover that's coasting? Or are you leveraging that for their good? Jesus leverages his status as God. And, and you can't have a higher status than God. And he leverages it for the good of others. 
Notice the text continues, verse 8, and being found in human form. So he's gone from everything it takes to be God to now it's everything it takes to be man. And he is expressing this manhood in human form. Notice what he does. We would say at this point, God becoming a man, that's humble enough. Pouring himself into flesh. Oh, it gets worse than that. Humbled. The word humbled means to lower yourself. There's all kinds of definitions for humility. In Greek and Hebrew, there's all kinds of different definitions. But every definition of humility includes the word low or lowly. And it means to lower yourself for the benefit of others. And that is how Jesus is described. So he's in human form, but but he's not just lowered himself to human form. He gets even lower by becoming obedient. And the word obedient is connected to the word slave, to slave for others. And we see the picture of Jesus slaving for others before the crucifixion, where he takes the basin and towel and he begins like a slave to wash the feet of the disciples, including Judas, who would stab him in the back. So he becomes a slave. But it gets even worse than that. To the point of death. How far did he go to obey death? Death. Separation from God. Separation from the goodness of God. What we all deserve. God created this world and he gave it life. Think about this. The creator of life. The word that brought life into the world. He takes death upon himself. Something that he didn't deserve. He separates himself from the goodness of life in the world. That's how low he would go to serve as a slave. But it gets even worse than that. Even death on a cross. So he didn't just die. He died on a cross. A humiliating death. Lynched. Executed. On an instrument of torture. His death was exalted as gruesome and horrible. So the one who is the highest of high has made himself the lowest of low. And he is mocked in the lowest of low positions. He's championed as a criminal. He, he's lifted up as a scoundrel. The one who is righteous, God himself is the lowest of low in human form. Not just a slave who's serving others. One who is dying for others and he doesn't deserve to die. And Paul's point here is there were no limits. No limits to his sacrifice. No boundaries. When God is going to use his status for the good of others, there's no limits to it. He goes to the lowest of low. The most extreme. This is the most radical He could be. And Paul says, if you're going to live out the gospel in the church, you can't limit your sacrifice. You can't limit your obedience. You want to know how godly you are? And so often we think about godliness in this way. I read my Bible. I go to church. I go to BFG. I go on mission trips. I serve in this way. And that way, I mean, look at all the Jesus things I do. Well, what makes you godly and what is equated to obedience here is sacrifice. 
And you can do all those things and they not be a sacrifice at all. And you limit your godliness when you're putting limits on your sacrifice. You, you limit yourself. So often around here, we, we talk about this term Instagram missionary. And it's somebody who goes on mission trips just so they can take a picture of themselves with poor kids in rough parts of towns. Click Instagram at Ashland Church Mission Trip. Hashtag Jesus is great. And we post that. And that one little moment, we look like we're Elizabeth Elliot. We look like the greatest missionary ever. But why are we doing that? We're doing that so people would think we're great. And we don't accept that around here. We pour our lives and our church into places for long term and we go back and we go back. It's hard to be an Instagram missionary around here. But is your sacrifice Instagram sacrifice where it's just a moment in time and it looks good in the moment, but you scheduled it. You scheduled it. There is a time clock on that. We, we, we want to negotiate with God. I don't mind giving to that. But don't ask me to serve in that way. I don't mind serving, but I'm not going to give. And just because we do something, we think we're godly. And, and, and we negotiate with God. I can't do that, but I'll do that. And yet so often we're putting limits on our sacrifice. And that's not obedience. There were no limits on Jesus' sacrifice. And this is why church membership is so important. Because when you sign up and you say, I'm committed to those people, there are no limits on it. Around here, it's not just Sunday morning. Around here, it's not just BFG. It's not just Wednesday night. It's not just a mission trip once a year. No, I'm all in. And when you're on that BFG prayer request list, your limits are going to be tested. Because someone's going to put up a prayer request. And they may not be asking for help in the moment, but you're going to read the prayer request and you're going to go, they need somebody. And in that moment, we're going to see how Christ-like you are. Are you willing to drop everything for them? Are you willing to be there even when it's very inconvenient? Oh my goodness. I have almost binge watched this whole 10 uh, episode series of whatever on Netflix. And I'm right at the very end, but they need me right now. Let's see how godly you are. Let's see how Christ-like you are. Are you going to cling to that? Or are you going to serve others? Are you putting limits on your sacrifice? Paul would say, if you're doing so, you're putting limits on your joy. Jesus is the most happy person ever. And yet he sacrificed the most ever. Notice he continues. What is the result of that? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And this is mind blowing. And, and in the first service, I didn't explain it like I want it to. So I'm going to take a little time here. So we got plenty of time. There's not a service, not a 12 o'clock service. We got plenty of time here. In eternity past, Jesus was still as glorious as he ever had been. He, he's the most glorious being ever. And yet now, God has made him famous. 
God has told the cosmos how glorious he is. He has bestowed on him a name that is above every name. But what happened in between? How did Jesus get that name? How did Jesus make that name, that fame, that reputation known? He humbled himself. He's the only one who has come to earth in flesh, being 100% God and suffering and sacrificing for one another. He has the name that is above every name. He is the most famous. Everyone knows about his glory. Everyone knows about his reputation now. Why? Because he humbled himself. So if you want to be exalted, you have to be humble. If you want to be high, you have to become low. Humiliation leads to exaltation. This is the way God does it. And if you don't want to be humble, you will never be exalted. Ever. Notice the text continues. So that at the name of Jesus, the word Jesus means Savior. Inherent in who he is, is he saved? His reputation is one who's saved by taking on flesh. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth at the name of Savior. Now, isn't that ironic? What we need is a Savior. And yet to be saved, what do we have to do? We have to bow our knee. We have to become humble. And we have to say, he's the only one that can save me. So if you're ever going to be exalted in Jesus, you have to bow your knee to Jesus. And you have to say, he's the king. He's the Lord. He's the only one who can save me. Notice as the text continues. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. How does God make his glory known in the world? Through the Son. The Son who defeats sin and death. Who is raised from the dead. And by you bowing before him. Do you see how God's glory and your good come together? I'm going to make sure that God is made superior to me. Because that's what God created the world. That he would be lifted up in all his glory, all his power. How do I do that? I bow my knee to him. But in bowing my knee to him, I'm saying Jesus is the one who's made his glory known. And when I say Jesus made his glory known, guess what? He saves me. And so my good and his glory come together in the gospel. But Paul also makes a point here. Every knee and every tongue in heaven and on earth and everywhere will bow before Jesus to say he's Lord. And the point is, you can humiliate yourself before him now or you will be humiliated later. God's goal for human history and our lives would be a lot easier when we realize this is to make Jesus known as the king who saves. That's the goal. This thing's going to take a lot of twists and turns. But at the end of the day, Jesus is going to be lifted high as the only one who could save. And you can bow before him now and acknowledge it. Or you will bow before him later in judgment. And it will be too late. The king who saves, Lord of all, will be your Lord in judgment forever. But isn't it good news that he humiliated himself for our good? And for the one who humiliates himself before the cross. Now he says, he, he is my only way of salvation. 
He has been humiliated for me in crucifixion. And I was crucified in Him. I've been raised up in Him. And I will be exalted in Him. You who will become, who, who if you would become humble, if you would humiliate yourself, your humiliation will lead to your exaltation in Him. You will rule and reign with Him forever. And if that's true in your life, isn't it so silly that you cling to your status and that you try to exalt yourself now? Isn't it silly that the one who was highly exalted lowered himself and now he's higher than any? His name is more famous than anyone else's name and it will be through eternity. And when you believe in him, your life is wrapped up into his fame and you will be highly exalted with him. Then why are you so intent on grasping for exaltation now? Pushing others down so you're just a little bit higher than them. Like little bitty ants stepping on top of each other. You're still so small. When you push one another down, Paul would say in the church, when you gossip, when you slander, when you subtly question others, when you got to get the last word, when your opinion is the only opinion that matters and you talk over other people, And you're the well actually guy in the room. Everybody's talking. Well actually, I gotta assert my opinion here. So I come across as sharp. Why do you do that? You're still just a little ant trying to step on other little ants. And yet, In Christ, you will be exalted with Him forever, higher than you could ever. So now you're free to humble yourself and serve others. Do you get that? You don't have to fight for the power. You don't have to clamor for exaltation now. Who cares if everybody sees how pretty and obedient your kids are on Facebook? Woo, they liked it. A zillion years from now, you're not going to remember that like. But in that moment, you felt the exaltation. And God would say, oh, you're going to be exalted in Jesus and it's going to blow your mind. Quit fighting for the likes. Quit working for exaltation now. Humiliation, serving others. Talk more about the good that's going on in others' life. Why would I talk about her? Do you know what she did so many years ago? Why, Why would I talk about how great she is and what a good job she does? No, she deserves to feel humiliation for what she said and did. Well, you don't have to fight for that in your soul. You're free to let go of it and encourage others. Humiliation leads to exaltation. And Paul said that's how we ought to live in the church. And dads, that's how we have to live in our homes. Dads and men who have been given leadership roles in the context of our church and you are spiritual fathers to other people and you are leaders here. God has given you a status. He has given you privilege and he has given you authority. And he has given you influence. And the question for you today, men, is how are you using it for yourself or for others? Because you have status in Jesus. So you can let go of anything you're clamoring for now. As men, so often, we we daydream. And this is not always a bad thing. We, We daydream about 
bitter, bigger and better things for us. And, and sometimes it can be self-pity. Life isn't the way I wanted it. Look at my life now. I should have achieved more. I should do more. I should accomplish more. And yet, dads, you have the privilege and status of dad. What else would you want? You, you have the opportunity to influence generations. How are you going to do it? Well, don't cling and clamor for more status. Humiliate yourself. Exhaust yourself for the good of your family. Some of us forget the nature of fatherhood. Is that you just care about, you can't care about yourself first and foremost. Guys come up to me all the time and they say, how do I prepare for marriage? And I say, inconvenience yourself as much as possible. That's how you prepare for marriage. How do I prepare to be a father? Inconvenience yourself as much as possible. Put yourself in inconvenient situations because that's your life. Because that alarm clock goes off and you open your eyes and you can't be first in line. You got other people who are looking to you to provide for them. You got other people you're supposed to take care of. And it's going to be inconvenient. And stop whining and complaining about how inconvenient it is. Because God gave you that role to be inconvenienced. Think about the one who had all power, all authority. And he didn't whine and complain about it. He lowered himself to the point of a slave and he served others for their good. And that's what you open your eyes to do, dads, every morning. Men, that's what you open your eyes to do every morning. Is to mimic the man and sacrifice and be inconvenienced for the sake of others. Because it points others to Jesus Christ. God has graciously given you that privilege and that honor and that status. And stop, as Paul tells us here, putting boundaries on your sacrifice. I know what it's like during the day. You're answering emails. You're balancing spreadsheets. You're making difficult decisions. You're problem solving. And on the way home, you're still doing it. You still have your phone in your hand and you're answering questions. And you pull in the driveway and you say, I'm done. You ain't done. You're just getting started. Because you're going to open that door. And you're going to have a wife and kids that run up to you and are happy you're there. And you are to win their heart over with sacrifice. And you are to inconvenience yourself for their good. So that they see and they experience the glory of Jesus Christ in those moments by one who is spent and now he's being spent for us. Stop putting boundaries on it. Stop thinking I just need to coast the rest of the day. Leverage your exhaustion to display the exhaustion of Jesus Christ. And never forget that the humiliation you experience and the service and sacrifice that you embrace leads to exaltation. Men, you want to be respected in your home. And you're thinking, why doesn't she follow me? Why doesn't she listen to my opinions? Are you sacrificing for her? Are you giving yourself over to her good? The degree to which you sacrifice for her, she will listen to you. But some of you are saying, look at all I do. 
Look at all I do. Wah, 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 wah. And so when you think, let's do this, she says, why am I following? Why, why, why? All you do is complain and whine. I don't know if you make that decision and it's the wrong decision, are you going to fix it? No, but someone who's cultivating sacrifice, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. I will respect you. You want your kids to listen and obey you? Sacrifice for them. Quit being a pushover who's coasting. Quit being a distant tyrant. I was being interviewed yesterday for a podcast on fatherhood. And they said, you've been a dad for 19 years. Been in ministry 20 plus years. Got six kids. What, what advice? What's one thing you would tell dads to do? What's one bit of advice you would tell them to do? And I thought back when, when I first became a dad. And man, I'm a planner. I had a list and I had a plan for all these kids over here. This is what they're going to look like. They're going to know the Bible. They're going to believe the gospel. They're going to be well-mannered. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. They're going to do all these amazing things. And we're going to be disciplined. And we're going to make it happen. And here's the plan. And you know what? That plan wore me out. And I know it wore them out. I know it wore them out. And so I answered the question. I said, just be present. Just communicate you love them, not in your list, in your things, in your expectations. Whatever you're asking them to do, if they don't see someone willing to sacrifice and die for them, they're not going to listen. You're a distant tyrant or you're just a pushover who's coasting. But if you're willing to bear the brunt for them and be inconvenienced for them... And you tell them to do hard things and things they don't want to do and things that they think, oh, this is the best thing for me in this moment. And you're saying, no, we shouldn't do that. They will look at you at the end of the day and say, that man will die for me. So I know he wants my good. Inconvenience yourself. Sacrifice. Humiliation leads to exaltation. You want to be exalted in respect in your home. Sacrifice in your home. And let me tell you, dads. I certainly don't have it together. Every day, as Patrick said in that video so eloquently, and yes, Patrick Fusen was eloquent in that moment, (laughs) when he said, you just feel like you're hanging by a thread. There are days where I feel like the thread broke. And there are days where I reach out and I want it this way. I want to be boss. I want to be authority. God, you're, let me call the shots. And in those moments where I'm trying to be God, I am most unlike God. Because it's not about me. But here's the good news, guys. I know this about you, men here. You just want somebody to tell you they're proud of you. I know that. You don't want your family today to sit around and give you a mug, greatest dad ever, card, best dad ever. Thank you, thank you for taking me here, doing this. Thank you, thank you. You want somebody to look you in the eyes and say, I'm proud of you. And I want you to know as your pastor, I'm proud of you. 
This church is full of men who sacrifice constantly. Full of them. And it is such a delight to be a pastor of this church. And I am proud of you. Families, tell dad you're proud of him today. Because here's the gospel truth. In Christ, in Christ, men, God delights in you as sons. He's proud of you. The same words that came from heaven that rested upon Jesus at the Jordan. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. If you are in Jesus, God is well pleased with you. And live there. Because there's days you're going to be humiliated by your pride. But Jesus was humiliated in your pride, in your sin. And when you believe in him, you may be unlike your father in heaven. But in Christ, you are accepted by your father in heaven.